Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our God. Amen. Margaret is a successful businesswoman and she wants to please God. She works in the accounting department of First National Bank and recently she's been promoted to a supervisor's position. She'd like to do something significant for Christ, but she feels trapped in her job. To make matters worse, at Margaret's church recently, there was a, a missionary conference. And last night, the missionary speaker demanded that everyone justify why they weren't serving Christ overseas. His words begin to haunt Margaret as she stares down the barrel of 25 years at her desk doing the same old, same old accounting jobs. The next day, she reads in the paper about a hurricane devastating the Marshall Islands in East, in East Asia. She sees there a photograph of two children crying over the death of their parents, and the photograph really moves her. So she begins to pray that God would help these poor souls. At lunchtime, a colleague at the bank making plans for his summer holidays, leaves a travel brochure of the Marshall Islands lying on the seat beside her. She decides to pray. Margaret sees that this is maybe a sign from God, so she begins to pray that if this is God's will, that God is calling her to the Marshall Islands, that he would make this clear to her. That night, She's home from work and her husband arrives home from his work and he's in a massive strop because somebody else has got the promotion that he thought was definitely coming his way. Everyone in that place knows that I'm 10 times better than Marshall. Suddenly, lights begin to go off in, in Margaret's head. Honey, she says to her husband, I've been thinking about what the speaker said in church last night, and the strangest set of coincidences have happened. Do you think God might be calling us to be missionaries in the Marshall Islands? David's a family man, a wife, two kids, a mortgage, and car repayments. He missed out on university first time through, but over the years he's had a growing sense that he should maybe go back to get a degree, something that would set him up for the long-term future in his career. He's been struggling with this decision for quite a while, so one evening after the Wednesday night fellowship in church, he turns to Tom, an older, more mature Christian, and he tells him about his desires. Have you prayed much about this? Asked Tom, so that God will show you his will. Well, I haven't prayed as much as I'd like, David admits. Listen, Tom replies, let's pray together just now. Empty your mind of anything that's in it. And whenever we have finished praying, I want you to tell me the first thing that the Lord puts in your mind. Okay. David agrees, and the two men pray together. And Tom closes with the words, please tell our brother David what your will is, Lord. 
They open their eyes, and Tom looks at David. Well, what's the Lord telling you? I think I should give up my job and go to university, David says, but without any real confidence that he's heard the voice of God. Suzanne needs direction from the Lord. She has an amount of money to invest, and since her husband died, she just doesn't know who to turn to for guidance and advice. She has three options she's running with at the moment. Her friendly personal financial advisor was around just recently, and he told her that she should invest the money in, in a new mortgage, sorry, in a new PEP, a new stakeholder pension. That's one option. But then she's also keen to invest and to give a lot of money to the hospice where her husband spent his last days. And then for a long time now, she's had a thing in her heart about the street children in Brazil. So Suzanne takes a seat in her favorite chair with the Bible in her lap. She says, Lord, I need you to tell me what to do with this money. Show me through your word. She lets her Bible fall open at a random page and reads, Jesus said, suffer the little children and let them come unto me. She slams her Bible shut, reaches for her checkbook, and writes a large check to the organization working with street children in Brazil. Barry is a young man in his early 20s who desperately wants to be in the will of God. He's keen to know who it is that God would have him date. So he's developed this system that he uses on a Friday night when he's phoning girls that he might date. He begins phoning starting at the top of the list. If the phone is engaged, he takes it that it is the Lord closing the door. He is not to date that girl. If the phone rings and no one answers, then the Lord is saying, wait, maybe, and he's very much at liberty to try again some other time. If the girl whom he is keen to contact lifts the phone and answers, that means that the Lord is saying, yes, go ahead. You have my blessing to date this girl. That's a very long introduction to what I want to talk about tonight, but I wanted to, to draw you into a few of the kind of scenarios where we want to find the will of God. We're beginning a new series of sermons this evening on this confused area of Christian living, finding the will of God. I don't know if you recognized any of the techniques or ideas that those people used. I've seen a few of them in action and I've used a few myself. As I went through those examples, did it ever strike you that there might be a, an awful lot of silliness going on here? Friends, the, we know that we are God's children and that he loves us. The Bible tells us that he's our, God is our loving heavenly father and that he wants to give us his best. Does it make any sense at all that God would want to hide his will from us? Does it make any sense at all that God would have us spend our whole lives doing mental and spiritual gymnastics to try and tease his will out of him? 
Whenever we say things like, if only I could find the will of God, as though God is keeping his will hidden from us, or I'm praying to discover God's will for my life, because apparently God doesn't want to show me his will. Friends, we're not making an awful lot of sense. None of this makes sense in the light of what God's word teaches us about God. We're going to spend a few weeks, these next Sunday evenings, going back to God's word to see what we can learn there about the will of God. As we do that, I better prepare you for this. We're going to ask ourselves whether this idea of finding the will of God actually makes any sense at all. And if it doesn't, we'll part company with it. We'll see if there's a new and a better way of thinking of how God will lead Christian people in their lives. First of all, this idea of God's will, very, very quickly. If you looked up a concordance for every time it mentioned the will of God in the Bible, you'd find that it actually has quite a breadth of use there. I'm just going to very quickly show you two or three different places where where God's will is spoken of. Sometimes the term God's will just simply means God's plans. The things that God is, is planning or intending, the plan, whenever that plan is being worked out, we say that God's will is being done. So that's one. Sometimes it's very simply used to mean what God desires. God wills that such and such a thing should happen. Sometimes we use the term to mean God's general providence, the way in which God allows the world to operate. Whatever comes of our circumstances, we say, is God's will. And finally, the Bible does on occasion, and we often talk about God's will, to refer to God's specific choices for us in difficult situations. This is normally what people mean when they say they're seeking God's will. I want God to tell me whether to be a missionary, whether to go to university, what to do with my money, and whom to date. Now, the interesting thing is that if you read the New Testament and you look for the times when God's people seek God's will for specific choices, the way in which I've just talked about here, you'll find that that never occurs. It only happens once in the New Testament. I should say it never occurs after Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 24, you'll read of the disciples drawing lots. That's a technique they used asking for God to give them specific guidance as they were trying to choose a new disciple. Do you remember Judas had taken his own life and they sought a new disciple and they appointed Matthias to take his place? Throughout the whole of the New Testament, you'll never find another incident where God's people pray seeking God's will for a particular situation. There are dreams and there are visions and there are revelations where God steps in, but none of those are sought. It's not to be a way of life for God's people. It's not a frame of mind that we're supposed to foster. Instead, the New Testament offers us something very different. It offers us a program of God's gracious guidance. It's based on having a close relationship with Jesus Christ and being increasingly sensitive to the presence of his spirit in us.
We'll come back to that a little bit later. But I want to think a little bit more for a second about what we mean when we talk about finding the will of God. During the time I spent at Regent College, I read a book by a professor of mine there, Dr. Bruce Walkie, who taught Old Testament at Regent College. And he says that when we seek God's will for a specific situation and attempt to discover hidden knowledge by supernatural activity, we're actually doing what pagans do. That's a a vital part of pagan religion, that you get up to all sorts of techniques and all sorts of antics to to tease the will out of this, this God He went as far as to call his book, Finding the Will of God, a Pagan Notion. Folks, everyone wants to find the will of God. Even people who who don't recognize God's authority in their lives are keen to know and have some confidence that they're making the right decisions. People who haven't prayed for a decade often turn to God when there's some big decision to be made in their lives. It's always been this way. If you look through the history of mankind, humankind, you'll see lots of examples of how people try to to seek the will of God. We've already mentioned casting lots. Some people look for signs. I was reading up on this, and and one of the less less tasteful ones is you take an animal, you kill it, you pull out its liver, and you have a look at the liver, and, and you're, you seem to be able to read it, and it gives you some predictions for the future. Not one I'd recommend. Some people used the, the spinning of arrows, uh, and the way the arrow falls gives you an idea of how God is guiding you. Some people watch stars. Now, that's a very contemporary one. Still, even though it's been disproven so many times, millions of people the world over are glued to their horoscopes day and daily. They make decisions only once they've consulted their horoscope. Some people go to fortune tellers, and others try to contact the dead. I've mentioned these activities in passing because these are the ways in which pagan people try to find the will of God. What I would want to contend this evening, I think a lot of Christian people do the same. They don't use the same practices but they use the same gimmicky, magic-oriented techniques. If you sit with a Bible on your lap and honestly believe that letting it fall open is any sensible way to seek God's guidance, we're, we're involved in pagan activities. It's magic. It's not Christian living, folks. Very quickly, I think there's a problem with this whole idea of finding the will of God. There's a flaw in the thinking. And the flaw is something like this. Well, our thinking goes something like this. We think that God has a plan for my life and he intends that I find it. Where in the Bible have you ever been told that God has a plan for your life that he intends you to find? If you read the Bible, in fact, you'll find stories and incidents that convince you of the opposite. Job, for example. The whole point of the book of Job is that Job was entirely in the dark for a long period of his life as to what God was doing. 
There are many other incidents in the Bible where people are in the dark about what God is doing in their lives. Folks, it's not actually the case that God has a plan for our lives which he automatically is waiting to reveal to us. There are some things that we will never understand about God's plans for us. And there's a lovely freedom that comes once we begin to accept that. Once we begin to accept that, we're no longer under any pressure to go and to seek and to find the will of God for every decision we make in our lives. That's not actually the way at which God wants to work in our lives. So whenever we come to consider which job we're to take, we don't go through pagan divination processes. We don't do the things that these people we talked about at the start of our service did. We don't clear our minds and wait for the first random thought to land there. We don't flip open our Bibles. We don't allow things to depend on the whim of somebody answering the phone. Instead, we take seriously our lives and God's work in them. I examine how God has called me to live my life, what my motives are, what things he's given me a heart for, where I am in my walk with Christ, and what God is saying to me through his word and through his people. Folks, in a sense, I think this is a very practical outworking of what we've been thinking about here the last couple of months in the book of Colossians. As God's people, we need to have confidence in God's work in our lives. We need to have confidence that maturity in Christ will teach us all that we need to know, give us all the guidance that we need. There's a very sensible reason why it's, it's like this. You see, if finding God's will for our lives was really all about praying the right magical formulaic prayer or using the right technique for spiritual manipulation, we would be able to know the will of God without knowing God any better. And that's what we actually often want. We often want to know what God wants and God's will and God's ways without being transformed at our deepest point. But God isn't going to allow that. The way in which God is going to reveal his will to you and to me is by drawing us more and more and more into him. The way in which God is going to show you his will is to fill you with the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's going to make you more and more like Jesus so that over time the decisions that you make will naturally be the kind of decisions that Jesus would make. Friends, that's the way in which God guides his people. This has been an unusual sermon this evening. I promised in our bulletin this morning that we would spend some time together thinking about finding the will of God, and I've ended up suggesting that actually we shouldn't be doing that. So in the bulletin next week, I'll have to have a different title in there, because we're not going to be thinking anymore about finding the will of God. We believe that that's a, a pagan notion, 
The idea that God's will is hidden from us and we need to tease it out. That's something we want to leave behind. Instead, in this series, we're going to think about living under God's guidance. We're going to think about those things that God has given us, those ways in which he prompts us and leads us in our lives to guide us. I've already said, and I I want to to bring, bring this to you once more before I finish. The new way that God leads and guides his people is through their walk with Jesus Christ. Our lives and our characters and even our ability to make decisions is to mature and to become Christ-like. It's fair to assume, isn't it, that as we become more like Jesus, we'll make decisions more like those that Jesus would make. Rachel read for us earlier a passage from John chapter 15, and it's wonderfully instructive at this point. Jesus talks to his disciples about the will of God or the business of God as the word he uses there. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now listen to this. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Everything that Jesus has learned from the Father, he will make known to his disciples. And he'll do that very naturally as we open our lives to his spirit, as we give ourselves over to being his disciples, to following him. Friends, let's give up for once and for all on trying to manipulate God. Let's give up on taking shortcuts, seeking God's will without seeking the character of God. And let's instead give ourselves wholeheartedly to obeying Jesus and growing in our walk with him. I want to close by encouraging you. Although I've said we shouldn't be seeking the will of God, I think that God is is only ready and eager and willing to guide us if we long to walk in his ways and to obey him. If we really want to obey God, he's going to use the normal patterns of Christian living to draw us into making the decisions that he would make us, have us make. We're going to spend the next few weeks thinking about some specific ways in which God will do that. God will speak to us through his word. That will be the starting point. And we'll think about that next Sunday evening. He'll prompt us in the desires of our own hearts. He'll speak to us through the advice of godly people. He'll speak to us through our circumstances. He'll expect us to use our reason and our intelligence. And sometimes he will intervene miraculously. But he'll do that when he chooses and not as we manipulate and tease him. Finding the will of God, I think it's a pagan notion. I don't think we should be thinking of it that way anymore. Instead, we should be saying we are the children of God. God loves us and is longing to give us good things. What we must do now is open our lives to Jesus Christ, to the Spirit of Christ, and allow God to use the normal 
aspects of Christian life to lead us in his ways. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are not as other gods. Lord, for so much of human existence, so much of time, people have given themselves over to trying to discover some mysterious will of God. Lord, would you free us from that? Free us from the paranoia that must go with that. Thank you that Jesus came to set us free. And if Jesus sets us free, we'll be free indeed. Free to walk with you. Free to be full of your Spirit. And free to know that we are safe and secure in your hands. Lord, we want to be people who open our lives entirely to your guiding will and ways. Lord, would you come? Would you gently draw alongside us? Would you place your yoke on our shoulders and draw us into your will along your path? Lord, may your ways become our ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.